What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Security Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, with Brian O'Hara, Randy, Brian, Reginald, Andre. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. We're at it another week. How are you guys? I'm, I'm still trying to control myself after the entrance music. I got to, like, stop bobbing <laughs> my head when it starts. And we really need outro music. If anybody <laughs> wants to make us outro music, I don't have time to do it. So I, I just realized at the beginning of the song, he says, contemplate for a while. So yeah. No, he says, I contemplate for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, so we do have we're all doing great over here in Texas. So hope everyone else is. What's up, Andre? You're quiet. I'm doing good, man. Getting ready for my uh, mini vacation this coming weekend. Nice. Nice. Yeah. We won't we won't tell everybody where you're going over the internet. Yeah. So <laughs> um all right guys. So a couple things we got for the show, but before we get into it, remember share our show. That's the only fee we ask. You know how to do it. You can do it basically anywhere. Click the little link and share it to your friends and family. And we thank you because you help us grow every week. So today we're gonna jump into um we got Sam, we got two breaches by two big tech companies. Samsung and NVIDIA. We're going to jump into that and talk about what's going on with those companies. Interesting um, hacks and, and things that are being done by these criminals. Uh, and then we have uh, a joint alert that we want to talk about from CISA and the FBI around. I, I guess the reason we're covering this is because we, we're getting asked a lot of questions uh, by the people that we know as to what the heck is going on with this Russia-Ukraine invasion. And I'm hearing about cyber attacks and cyber criminals, um, you know, ramping up their efforts or doing more. So what are they doing? We're going to highlight that. What are they doing? How are they doing it? Uh, because attacks have increased since this invasion has started, almost right in line with when Russia went in. Attacks have increased. Um, we've seen enough telemetry where... We know what's going on at this point. We kind of know what they're doing. So we're going to educate you about that and teach you how you can protect yourself. And then we're going to get into why it's so easy for them to be able to take, you know, to take this stuff down or to get into your accounts. Uh, we're going to dive into some data, a nice uh, Tech Republic article, right? Tech Republic article that we found on uh, passwords and how quickly they can be brute forced or attacked or guessed by cyber criminals. So Towards the end of the show, we're going to get into that. Remember, anytime you have a question or comment, drop it in wherever you're watching us, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. You can drop it in the comments. We'll see it here, and we'll try to bring it up on the screen and answer it for you if we have time. So, guys, first one I'm going to bring up, feel free to jump in here, but we got we got the first one is Samsung. Um, they were hit with a massive uh, hack, um, but they're saying that the user data is safe. So, um, Andre, what do you know about this one? You were the one who shared it out. So what do you got? Yeah. So we got two things going on with the, what did you say? Samsung or NVIDIA? This is Samsung. All right. Let me pull that. We're one doing up. NVIDIA next. Got it. Okay. I was preparing for NVIDIA. All right. So, uh, essentially we have the hacking group called Lapsus, which recently targeted in the NVIDIA. They're demanding, um, there's some issues here. Let's see what the Samsung. Actually, go ahead, uh, Brian, if you want to do that one, because I prepared for the NVIDIA one. Sorry about that. I, I think the the important the, the thing that jumped out at me with with really both of these. Uh, so so it was the same group that that performed both of these these compromises, and 
they had a reason for it. It wasn't just a random, you know, I'm going out trying to make some money with, with ransomware or what have you. Um, they are, are trying to get both of these companies to remove a, a control that allows uh, the, some of these products to help them with crypto mining. So we talked a little bit about it last week where you know, these groups are starting to realize that they've got uh, power and influence and sway by doing the things that they're doing to to accomplish things. So it's almost like you know they're, they're acting like their own little independent nation states, these, these virtual nation states to to get things accomplished. And I think we're going to start seeing uh, more of that where they're going to try and influence and get their what they want. It may not be money, it may not be you know through ransomware, but but getting in and causing these these problems to get you know something that they want, not necessarily money. That's pretty crazy when you think about it. So here we have a extortion going on mm -hmm. trying to twist the arm of these big uh gpu manufacturers to uh eliminate hash rates so they can better mine crypto mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I should be surprised i'm not but still that's almost surprising well, and, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, that that's something traditionally these big companies have had to their advantage. I mean, they've, they've got the money to, to do what they want to do. Right. So when when these groups realize that, that by doing what they do, they can influence that that balance of power. You know, I, that, I just think that's going to open the floodgates for for these groups to, to start having these reasons to go after these big companies. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty crazy stuff. Um, and. You know, okay, I probably shouldn't say this, but, you know, Intel's done a lot of these shenanigans. Intel's done a lot of these shenanigans where they, they have limited the power of their chips. I'm, surprising this ha I'm surprised this hasn't happened towards them mm -hmm. over some of that. I know that we're not using Intel chips. People aren't using Intel chips necessarily for crypto mining. Um, you know, they tend to gravitate towards the GPUs which are the graphic processing units. Um, but I'm surprised that something like this hasn't been lashed out against uh, Intel. So yeah. I said it, okay? I said what I thought. I mean, this goes a little bit back, Brian. And, you know, we were talking a little bit slightly different topic, but you were talking about, you know, hackers and, and kind of, you know, vigilantism in a way um, in, in the different groups that are responding to what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, this is another, another, possible example of that where, where these groups are going to start, you know, having these causes and using their tools and their knowledge to go after these big companies for these so-called causes. And what's right. that going to do, you know, to the economy? What's that going to do to the way that these big companies operate? Yeah. The dirty little secret of IT is kind of popping out or, or big tech, right? When they're <clears throat> programming or they're doing things to your devices to limit what they can do, maybe track what you can do. And, you know, in a sense, these these particular hackers and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, I'm going to might as well pull it up at the NVIDIA. Um, you're seeing these guys start actually making demands and extorting them to not do these things with their products. Um, and it's almost like it's it's almost it's crazy because it's almost like they're turning the tables where they're like, Hey, we're fighting for the consumer. We're mm -hmm. still doing, we're still doing something very illegal, but we're doing it in the name of like consumer rights. Um, which is, it's, it's mind blow, right? Because it's still against the law to do all this, right? They're, they're and, revolutionary groups now, right? Right. It's still against the law to do all this. <clears throat> um, it's illegal to 
get into somebody's network or breach a network or try to uh, exploit something on a network that you are not permitted to do by the company that owns that. Um, and this is just, you know, when you, when you're doing this stuff, you know, and you, you know, I always think back to how I used, you know, you watch a ton of mafia movies, right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and they always kind of operated this way. They would, you know, torment businesses in their neighborhood over the, over the guise of like, Hey, we're securing you, but you're, you're basically securing it from them. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, it's, it's just no different in my mind where you have these people who are kind of, you know, criminals, but they're getting into places and just to make themselves look like the good guys, they're, they're using this as an excuse to make money off these companies um, or, you know, breach their network. So interesting, I guess, twist of events of, of cybersecurity and cyber criminals that, you know, they're taking these tax. We've seen it before. Um, but this is the kind of stuff that's going out there that people just aren't aware of, you know, and that's why we talk about this stuff and we bring it because I think the big question is, is like, why do people want to do this? Um, well, here's why. Here's another another reason of the hundreds of reasons that criminals and people have to do this stuff. Um, as we move along in technology, we're seeing more and different and new ways for them to monetize what, quite frankly, when I first started dealing with security, it used to be just like nobody made money off malware and viruses. It just made computers run like shit and it annoyed you and ruined your day. Um, and now we're in a place where almost everything that's done from a cyber criminal standpoint is done to make money. Mm -hmm. So and, and I think there's also, you know a far reaching fallout to a lot of these things too. So, so I'm just thinking, you know, what if one of the one or two of these big hacking groups decides, you know, Hey, uh, we don't like that. Facebook is gathering all this data on people and, and we're going right. to use that as our, our, uh, our activism. We're going to go after them. So what happens if they get Facebook to, to back off on some of that stuff? And then this, the, the things that Facebook is using that data for have a lot of, of advertising impact, you know, how is that going to affect financially all these other uh, companies that use Facebook for marketing. I mean, this is all stuff that's going to trickle down uh, into other areas, depending on how well it goes. Yeah, I think even like your your government, they may say a, a small town or a police department. If you don't release the you know police brutality video or whatever it is that they think is socially important, then we're going to hack you and you know give all this stuff up. So, like you said, it could just trickle down to so many things. I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of turning the real world into like. Grand Theft Auto Online. <laughs> this virtual power to do all of this stuff. So, Andre, I'm going to put you on, on the spotlight here. Is there anything in this NVIDIA article that you want to discuss that we didn't talk about already? Sure. So, uh, essentially, we have um, the data breach of the chipmaker NVIDIA. And um, based on reports, there's about 71,000 employee emails that have been exposed. And the interesting thing is NVIDIA has approximately 19,000 employees. So we're talking almost uh, more than 90% of their, um, uh, excuse me, we're talking a lot of their employees basically getting hacked and having their information out there. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that people are, and I think we talked about it in, in, our, in one of the shows recently. If it wasn't the last one, it was the one before that. I remember specifically saying myself that, you know, companies kind of always look at like, 
what customer data do they have or what data do they have that somebody would want? Well, if you have employees, they have data that they can steal and monetize. And that's, you know, that's what this tells you. They hacked NVIDIA. Um, they got 71,000 employees, but they also got other things, which I find interesting. So let, let's jump into that a little bit, too. They, they released some code samples, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they got some source yeah. code. Right. And and it's kind of like that vigilante type stuff that's going on again, where they basically uncovered evidence that they are limiting the hash rate on Ethereum mining. And basically one of the demands of this hacking group is that you remove the hash rate limit on Ethereum mining on your cards. Um, I don't think that's all their cards, but I know somewhere I think in the 3000 series that started um, where they started limiting the hash rate. Um, and it, you know, it prevents miners from making as much money as, as they want. Right. And it's one of the things that they're looking at is like, Hey, we want you to change this. So, yeah, the, the, I think the article, the article says it's the NVIDIA 30 series. Yep. So it would include that. And it sounds like all of them mm -hmm. um, that they've uh, turned that on. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. This sounds awful. Uh, it The article is a little confusing because it says in one paragraph that NVIDIA wants to open source its GPU drivers forever and remove the nerf that, that's keeping the, the mining um, you know, throttled. Um, but then in the next paragraph, it says that the criminals are threatening to, you know, sell a bypass for that. I don't know. It's a little confusing um, about about that. Why? Um, because are we is it if NVIDIA wants to open source it? Well, then they'll open source it. And these guys can't sell sell the bypass for a million dollars. So that's the thing. Well, that's that's the thing. They're forcing them to open source it. And NVIDIA says they want to, but they haven't done it yet. So now this threat will either force them to go open source or these guys will make money on a workaround because they have the code and they know how to do it now. Yeah, I mean, the, other possibility, the, the other possibility is that, that you know, they're saying that they want that, that Ethereum piece and that, that's just the cover to make them look better and that, that vigilante type perspective. Exactly. They all, all they're worried about is the, is the money in the first place. Exactly. And, and guys, this is, this, is, and this, this is the bigger point that I want everybody to kind of let sink in here. And that's these, this is how this criminal network works on the dark web. People get together and they say, we have access to such. And then these guys get together and figure out how they can monetize it best. And you basically see a two-pronged approach here to, to try to make money off of this hack, right? You have the vigilante part, and then you have employee data being stolen. If you think this is all one guy who's some genius figuring this stuff out and, and doing this, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. This is a network of people who have met and and worked on the dark web and they built relationships just like you build relationships in business and they reach out to each other when they have this network access and they say here's what we got how can we monetize it and then they, they figure these types of things out in in my past life um i used to work for a computer electronics store and we would be trained on graphic cards such as um, nvidia and one of the things that they used to um there was a lot of gaming guys in my group and they asked the rep, like, how come you can't make this go faster? And their answer was, well, because, you know, if we try to overclock it, 
it's going to essentially void the warranty because they can't guarantee that it can work at that speed. And also because next year there's going to be a new model that can do what this year, this, this model can't do. And we just have to continue limiting what we can pull out or else we're not going to have to be able to have new products. So, so it kind of puts NVIDIA in the bind too, where if they allow this, then, you know, what are they going to be able to sell you next year? Yeah, that's and that's the, the company. That's the whole fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you ask me, because from the salesman, because I've heard that probably a hundred times from people. Well, you don't want to overclock. You know, you're, you'll void the warranty. You know, or you know, you might break something. And I've overclocked phones and computers, and I'm I know that you can melt things, and I know that things can go awry, and it may not work as expected. But I've basically never had issues. Um, or anything significant, you know, I've never had a phone or a computer processor melt, you know, because it had overclocked it or whatever. Like, I don't know. I think they want, they don't want you to do it. And that's a whole, that whole other, that whole other thing, you know, of um, that's a, that's a whole nother can of worms, but I don't think they want you to do it because then you're right. They can sell you next year's model, which, you know, gets you farther down the road. Like you could have got this year with overclocking. Yeah. Ah, so saying too man. much today. <laughs> so moving right along, this kind of goes back to um, the question I posed, or at least the question I mentioned that we get asked a lot, especially recently. Like, what the heck is going on with these cyber criminals and Ukraine and Russia and you know, however you want to term what's going on right now in the world? But one of the things is is that they were going to increase cyber attacks, and then you hear you know, people helping Ukraine attack Russia with, with cyber attacks. So what is actually going on? And, you know, we're going to break this down basically from an American perspective. Like, how does this impact me as an American when all that's happening over there? Um, obviously, with the Internet, borders don't matter, um, you know, like like it does with actual conventional war. So it does mean that if we get involved, we put sanctions on. Uh, our government puts sanctions on a country that they decide that they're going to start doing cyber attacks as a as a response to it. And that's kind of what we're, we've been hearing. Um, I would also say that you need to have the awareness that cyber criminals in Russia um, were kind of under a microscope there leading into this. And now they're probably no longer being watched or nobody cares what they do. So that kind of opens the door for... Um, for these types of things. Plus I would, I would also go out on a limb and say that a lot of cyber criminals based out of Russia, if they do get access to something valuable that at this point in time, it's probably very easy to sell it to their own government um, depending on what they get. So these are the things that we're kind of at a high level thinking about and looking at, but to get into more detail um, we have this joint alert from, CISA, which is basically the, the cybersecurity wing of the United States federal government, uh, and the FBI put out a joint alert stating Russian hackers compromised defense contractors access sensitive information for years. So we're going to dive into what the heck was going on here and how they were able to achieve this because it relates to what we're seeing at a bigger scale right now um in the world now it's interesting I, I if i remember correctly guys that this article came out about two weeks ago 
which which is right in line with when they invaded Ukraine. Um, so take it from here, Ryan. Go in a nutshell. What what's happening here? Um, what what is the government saying that these hackers, these Russian hackers, have done to these defense contractors over a number of years? I mean, e email we talked a little bit about last week is is ripe for attack because they can get in and then just kind of sit there and digest information. And, and if you're not keeping track and, and, and have tools in place to monitor for this type of unauthorized activity, you know, they can just sit there and read your email for, for months or years and, and see what's going on. I mean, think about how much stuff people send via email. Uh, I mean, just assuming that it's secure. I, I always tell people, you know, if you're sending something in an email, you know, pretend it's the regular mail and somebody could just grab it out of your mailbox and open it up because that, you know, essentially that's what we're looking at. You know, there's, there's ways to protect it, but you know, you can't assume that, that these things are being protected properly. And, you know, these hackers always have ways. So information is power. They're getting in and, you know, they're going to gain a lot more by just sitting there and reading your email than they are by doing something uh, that exposes them. And then, you know, to change passwords and things like that. So they're going to sit there and grab information. As long as that information's good and they can do something with it, they're going to, they're going to read it for as long as they can. Yeah. The, the article specifically says they used time-tested tactics. In other words, they used vulnerabilities that we already know about that these contractors should have already been taken care of. And he, they, they go on, they say, spear phishing, that's, that's targeted phishing towards people, credential harvesting, brute force, password spraying attacks, and exploiting known vulnerabilities. Like, you know, there was an article a couple of weeks ago that the Chinese have had an, an exploit for about 10 years, and they've mostly been going against Asian and Middle Eastern countries. You know, that's like, whoa, wow. This article, though, you know, it's the same kind of title. The Russians have been in there for years. What have they been using? What, like, what super cool tool or, or scary tool have they been using? Well, beer fishing known vulnerabilities, password spraying, like, come on, guys. Like, and we're going to get into in a minute. We're going to get into a minute. Like, Get me started. Sorry. How, how, how easy it is for this guy, for these guys to do this, because we're still at a place where people are using ridiculously easy passwords. Um, so whether or not you're, you know, one, it's one thing if your credentials are exposed on the dark web and you continue to use that same credential, um, it's a whole other thing to just use a password that's not on the dark web and you think you're safe, but it's the name of your dog, Fluffy, mm -hmm. right? And that's your password. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're seeing are the two things that are killing most companies and businesses with these kinds of attacks is that they're just not enforcing proper password hygiene on these accounts, on these Office 365 accounts, which... You know, in today's day and age, it's not just about logging into email if you're an Office 365 customer. There's a lot of services that are attached to that username and password. Um, and, you know, today still, there's people out there that aren't using multi-factor authentication on their Microsoft accounts. You know, Brian, in order to do the government contract specifically with DOD, Aren't, don't, aren't these companies supposed to be following standards and, and having audits, the CMMC and things like that? 
there's nothing. It, the, the only thing that they have to do right now is, is in most contracts, it's written that they have to follow a cybersecurity framework, which is right now is NIST 800, depending on what you do for the federal government, that you might have more controls than somebody else. You know, if you're, if you're just cleaning offices, you're probably, you know, on the low end. And if you're building missiles, you're probably on the high end. You have to have more cybersecurity in place. Um, but right now it's a self-attestation process where you just have to say that you're doing it. Um, and a lot of people don't even know what's involved within the framework. They just say that they're doing it. Um, you know, they go in and they just like, and it's no different, Andre, than when we see our clients submit <clears throat> cyber insurance applications and you look at them and they're completely wrong. Mm -hmm. They're just uneducated, making their best guess at what's going on in their environment or what they think is going on in their environment. And almost a hundred percent of the time, the person who fills that out, if they're not the IT person, they usually answer at least one question wrong. And, and, and there's things in motion with, with the, those government contractors now to change that, right? Where, where not fast enough. Very true. I mean, this is ridiculous. And, and I've, I've bitched about this on this show before. Um, you know, I came from the Navy. I, I was there when NMCI was born and rolled out, which is basically managed services for the Department of Defense. Um, you know, it, it, they just wanted to centralize and, and have a high level management of all the assets and computers. And this started to get rolled out around 99, 2000 when I was there. Um, it was supposed to take two or three years, uh, some, you know, and as soon as it started, we knew it was going to be longer than that. I left five years later. It still wasn't implemented. And from what I heard, it was 10 years before it finally was implemented. I don't see a CMMC taking a quicker path. There's just too many things that have to get put in place. This is too big of a ship that needs to turn around. Um, and they didn't get started off on a good foot. Uh, the, you know, the, the head of CMMC has already been replaced. Um, they're starting and they're trying to uh, get get it back and have it be a thing again, but it's looking more and more like what we already have, which is self-attestation mm -hmm. for certain levels of people. And they're really only going to worry about the, the top secret uh, contractors mm -hmm. and things like that. So, um, you know, I just think that maybe our government needs to be a little bit more open-minded about companies like like ours out there who have the tools who put the processes in place, who've built in automation around this stuff, who've really worked on it for the last five years to get it to where it is today, to where we can deliver it, you know, much more efficiently than a lot of companies are doing it out there or trying to do it or not doing it at all because they think it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're not seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of here's a framework and you need to follow this. And companies are going, well, how do we do that with, our network infrastructure guy and our email server guy, right? No, these guys, and because they're not willing to go out and hire, and they're quite frankly, they're not out there. The cybersecurity experts are not out there. They're, they're just, there's a ma massive shortage. So I think CISA would be better served or businesses would be better served by a CISA if CISA actually came to them and said, here are companies that can provide you mm -hmm. with solutions that solve this problem, 
right? Rather than rather than approaching it from a, a framework, here's the framework you need to follow it type attitude. Here are the people, here are the companies that can help you get this done. And, and that is where this needs to be. Instead, it's going to be <clears throat> companies that have to follow a framework, that get an audit by an auditor. Yes, you can be a registered practitioner and help companies, you know, achieve that, but it's still going to be very much like, you know, uh, the, the buyer has to decide what's the right solution instead of the, instead of government authorities and cybersecurity experts saying, here's a tried and true and tested solution. And we know this works and you can buy it from this company. I think the other part of the problem too is is these companies you know see this framework right and they're not even practicing the basic fundamentals properly or they don't have an understanding of even the basic fundamentals so then you put this this whole framework in front of them and you know it, it's just it even further blows it out of the water how how much would things be different if if the majority of companies were even just practicing the basic fundamentals at this point yeah exactly 100% because you know in this article it points out that these aren't things that <laughs> these aren't sophisticated attacks, as Randy said. These are things that we know about. These are things that people are either choosing not to pay attention to, not to invest money in, not to take care of for whatever reason. Um, and it's 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 simple. Like, just use better passwords. Put multi-factor on everything. Like, we're still, we, you know, I feel like it's going to be, five, 10 years into this before people really start to understand that what we've been saying for the last five, 10 years makes a difference. Mm -hmm. um, why the adoption rate of all this stuff is taking so long is, is, is mind boggling to me. Um, we, we can do things a lot faster. We can do things a lot better. Yeah. And I, I mean, you also have to you know, hold your, your, your employees accountable. I think that, you know, a lot of this too is, you know, it's inconvenient. You know, why, why do we need to implement uh, MFA? Cause you know, then I just have to spend the next two weeks getting John from accounting to understand what that means and how he can do it. You know, you, you, you got to hold people accountable. You got to, you know, start taking this stuff seriously, implementing the fundamentals and protecting your business because what's going to be a bigger pain in the butt, helping somebody learn for a couple of days, how MFA works and, and, and what it means, or, you know, getting compromised and possibly losing your business. Yeah. You know, for, for years, I mean, America's had a really strong military and in the, you know, non-cyber world that helps prevent attacks and the world changes all over all of, all from all history world, the world changes every so often. And right now we're in a giant shift. Mm -hmm. Yes. The, you know, the, the military and all that stuff still matters, but this stuff matters just as much from us, from a cybersecurity standpoint. I mean, and we really need to get our country businesses, you know, we're all from the U S but you know, we have people from all over the world. Like we've got to take this new world. We've got to think about what it takes to be, secure in this new world to secure our businesses it's going to require a lot of a lot of changes and mm -hmm. some people are dragging their feet you know they're not ready or, or whatever um it's crazy in the in the green room we talked about it's all about money right so in context you, they, i think they need to just put some type of like all right you want this contract you got two years to get your act straight or we're going to give it to the next guy you know something like that because otherwise i mean five to ten years and we're saying it nonchalant it's kind of like, that's another five to 10 years there in our systems. Like, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's, 
it's it's just interesting to me because like we know i know and i'm convinced that businesses don't spend what they need to be spending on this stuff we they got away with it for a very long time spending one percent or less on their technology where we know it needs to be you know if you're if you're in compliance you're close to five to six percent and and three percent for it that's all in that's infrastructure that's mm-hmm. buying everything and then managing it and properly securing it. It's, you know <clears throat> you can you know the reason you're spending one percent is because you're not securing it you're just buying it you probably have some half-assed person running it and you get by but it's not secure and that's what we see in a lot of businesses big and small um and that's the, and that's the reality i mean you People need to start looking at this and the government needs to be coming out and saying, look, look, we're looking across businesses when they get hacked. We ask them how much they're spending, Um, you know, in certain sectors like maybe banking, it might be where it needs to be. But other sectors like I don't even care if you're in like the hospitality business, like you still have to do this stuff. And if you're probably one of the that's probably one of the sectors along with maybe real estate where they're getting away with paying less than what they should for 20 plus years. Right. And that's part of the reason why we justify paying less than 1% or 1% is because you've always gotten away with that for 20 years. Well, it's, it's coming to an end. And that's why we have a show like this to, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure that everybody's aware, but the government should start stepping in and start letting businesses know they have to figure out a way to put more resources towards this stuff. And it needs to be a frank conversation. Um, so do you guys think we got a question here from mm-hmm. Steven? You guys think uh, cyber insurance is, is even more purchasing. I get this question all the time yep. too, when we run assessments or is it better to spend the money on an MSP? So I'll let you guys fire away and I'll fill in. If you guys don't, don't, don't know. <laughs> In, in my opinion, it's, it's not an either or. It's, you need both, right? So you never want to get to a point where you have to take advantage of insurance because if you're filing a claim, you're feeling some pain one way or another. Your, your insurance is going to be your, your safety net. It's going to protect you uh, on the back end if, if the worst case scenario happens. You need the protection on the front end, though. And, and, and this is becoming even more and more true where insurance realizes that they're not just going to blindly pay out that claim. You're going to have to have the protection on the front end for them to even uh, you know, give you the insurance in the first place in a lot of cases. Uh, but, you know, so, so then, you know, conversely, do you just get insurance and not protection? You know, no, you, you, you don't want that to happen. You want to keep this from happening. Um, but the other side is, is that even with the protection, nothing is 100%. So you need that safety net just in case. I mean, we can do all of the best tools in the world. And if somebody really wants to hack you and they have the time and energy to do it, you know, they're going to get by or an employee is going to do something stupid and find some hole or some new vulnerability that happened. You need to make sure that you have both. It's, it's equally important. Yeah. Yep. We, we, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, we always give the example. We live, we live a couple hours from the coast. A lot of people have like a house down there or go visit down there or whatever. And we give the example of, if you live on the coast of the Gulf Coast in Texas, it's not a matter of if you're going to have a hurricane, it's a matter of when. And so you need to do a few things. You need to make sure your house is built to withstand the hurricane. You need to have a contractor, you know, in your Rolodex or on your phone or whatever you want to call it. You need to have a contractor that you can call when it does happen. Um, and you need the insurance. Because 
you never know when we're going to get a cat six hurricane or whatever that that even though your house is built to the best standards, it still gets completely demolished. And so like you're it's exactly what you're saying. It's just when you relate it to like having a beach house in the Gulf of Mexico, you got to do all of the above. You know, you've got to have a plan. You got to be prepared. You got to build to build to spec and you got to have that insurance in case everything else fails. It all works together. So, yeah, my answer to Stephen is just basically uh, what Ryan already said is, yes, it's worth it. And it needs to be all of the above. We, I also hear from people, it's like, well, why do, why do I need cybersecurity? I've got cybersecurity insurance. And it's the same thing, you know, you're, you're going to have to be held. You think you, I think you mentioned this. You're going to be have, you'll be held to certain standards before you can even qualify to get it or else mm-hmm. the insurance company is going to take you to court and say it was gross negligence. Well, of course they got cyber attack. They don't have MFA in place anywhere. They don't have anything in place. It, why should we have to pay for it? That's literally what will happen. So it's all the above. Do, do you not wear your seatbelt because you got auto insurance? Or, <laughs> or or do you not have auto insurance because you wear your seatbelt regularly? I mean, that, that, that sounds ridiculous, right? You know, when you boil it down. It's it insane. does, man. It's a great example. That's even better. That's quicker to say than the hurricane example. <laughs> so, so I always get this one and I'll throw this one out there, you guys, and see what, how you guys feel about it because it actually – it's a pet peeve or drives me nuts when I hear it. But I had a guy the other day say to me, you know, tell him what we do. And and he's like, oh, you're, it's like, you're, it's like you like sell insurance. Like they look at what we do as like an insurance policy. And I, and I, and I always correct people with this line and you can tell me what you think about it. But I always say, no, I say we're completely different from insurance because insurance covers your risk and we reduce your risk. Right. And that's that's the reality of it. Like we reduce the chances of you having to use that policy, but we don't eliminate the chance of you having to use that policy. And it's not an or question. Right. You need to have both. If you don't, you're running risk. And, you know, that's part of what we do is we say, hey, you don't have cyber insurance. That's risk in your business. Right. That's something that you need to be concerned with. Should you have an event, you're paying out of pocket. Right. And you're, you know, you're going to be dealing with this on your own. And do you have, you know, free cash flow to pay, you know, $500,000 to recover? You know, if, you know, that's the number. Um, But, you know, that's, that's the big thing for me is like, how do you guys feel about when I, have you ever had anyone say that to you? Like your, your services are kind of like insurance and it's like, well, no, or nothing like insurance. Like, (laughs) Yeah, we get that. And also, too, when you look at, at least here in Florida, the of course, we know that the um, price of the insurance policies have gone up, but it's I've still seen policies anywhere from $2,000 to about $6,000. So, I mean, it's not like crazy expensive if you're a $2, 3000000 million company a year, you know? Oh, no, it's not crazy expensive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but where it can get expensive is if you do it and don't have an IT person. Right. right. Because mm-hmm. you're just giving them giving your money away at that point, because you're probably going to be doing something wrong where they're going to come in and say, we're not paying this. Uh, we're not paying this policy out. So I guess, Stephen, to answer your question, it's not an or question for us. It's you need both, um, you know, and it, it's not you shouldn't be looking at it in, in any way, shape or form. Like, hey, I have cyber insurance. I don't need an MSP or I have an MSP and they have me covered, so I don't need cyber insurance. Those are two 
thought processes that are completely wrong. So um, you need to have the MSP in place and you need to have the cyber insurance to back it up when something happens. Right. So. All right, guys. So the last thing we want to jump into here is, uh, you know, kind of going back to our last conversation when we were talking about the Office 365 accounts being compromised. <clears throat> and we obviously talk about the dark web all the time and credentials being out there on the dark web. But here we have, you know, these brute force attacks, right, where your, your credentials might not be on the dark web, but you can still get compromised, right? Um, and we want to pull up this, this chart. I'll try to blow it up here. Um, but we thought that this was a really good, um, you know, chart from Hive Systems that Tech Republic highlighted in this art article that basically goes to show you that if you have certain characters or like, for instance, if you have an 11 character, all number password that can be cracked instantly, even though it's 11 characters, um, you got eight characters of all lowercase can be hacked instantly. Now, let's just talk about that, guys, real quick. How is it? How are, how are they able to hack instantly? How are they able to do that? To help us understand. The the GPUs that we mentioned earlier in oh, the, the Nvidia cards that they have. Yes, they use those because those are those do complex um, complex equations very very fast. They have to because video is instant. We don't want it to lag. If it lags, we don't buy it. So they use those GPUs to, to try to do uh, crack these passwords. So, I mean, they can do, you know, millions per second. I don't know the exact, uh, you know, the exact number they can do per second. I know they have to get an, a response before they can enter in another one. So that's going to slow it down. I love this chart. This chart cracks me up. And scares the crap out of you at the same time. Well, <laughs> I love I love that an 18... 18 characters with lowercase, uppercase letters and symbols, which my minimum is 34 characters with all of that. Okay. If they will allow it. Right. 18 characters, 438 trillion years. Like the universe won't even exist at that point. You know what I mean? So. Well, you, you also have to take it with a grain of salt too. This, this is based on today's technology. So exactly. Next year, that you know that number might be down to like yeah, that green. That, that green will eventually turn yellow. Right? Yeah, quantum computing. Um, that will probably be it. instant. Forget about it. Yeah. So, so quantum computing, we better be done with passwords. Yeah, I've been um, saying that for years. So, I mean, look at this. Some of this stuff is like really interesting, though. If you look at it, like how many people probably have eight characters with upper and lower case numbers only no special characters yeah. right so that's two minutes it would take them to brute force into your into your account right um and you're, you you go upper lower case and symbols which a lot of people probably have that's about 40 minutes right so let's let's talk about that for a little bit right let's go on that at 40 minutes so we're talking about this one right here, eight characters, which I would probably say somewhere between eight and 10 characters is probably where most people are at, right? Mm -hmm. But two things, you know, to point out real quick, the obvious, if you just add two more characters, it goes from 39 minutes, 40 minutes, under an hour to five months by just adding two characters, you know, obviously with symbols, right? So obviously 10 characters to 12 characters seems to be the sweet spot right if you're using 12 characters 
If you're only using numbers, you're in trouble. If you're only using lowercase letters, you're in trouble. Um, but we're going to talk about here in a minute, like the two days, you shouldn't be letting somebody bang on your door for two days, right? So we're going to talk about like what are things that we can do to make sure that somebody can't do that for two days. Um, but then as soon as you add upper and lowercase number with 12 characters, you're at 24 years, right? So again, this is random. This is not a word, right? This would be random characters, not words and things like that. But you can see how quickly it goes up by just changing these little things, right? And then if you throw in a special character in your 12 character uh, random letters and number password, you're at 3,000 years, right? Versus five months or two days or 39 minutes with eight characters, right? So let's talk about this. Um, you know, eight characters, 40 minutes. That's not a lot of time, right? Right. And if you don't have the right things in place, somebody could break into your account in 40 that's minutes right. without you even knowing it, right? And that's probably a lot of the defense contractors that we talked about on the last article. Right. That somebody was banging away on their account with no telemetry, no alerting set up, no account lockouts or the account lockouts locked the account, but then unlocked them after a certain period of time. A lot of people don't know that that's basically Windows default. Right. If you if I bang away on your Windows password for, you know, 10, 12 different tries and I'm wrong, it locks me out for 30 minutes and then I can start trying 30 minutes later. If you don't go in and change that setting, that's how it's set in Windows as it ships out of the box. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. So, and, and same thing if you're in the cloud, there's really no difference. All these rules exist in the cloud too that you have to go in and configure. Otherwise, people can just bang away on, on the account trying to get into it. So configurations um, out of the box are meant to be user-friendly, not secure. Yeah, absolutely. We're still in that world where... They want you to buy this stuff so they make it really convenient, right? They don't – security usually means less convenient for the end user, unfortunately. Um, so what are some things that people should do practically? Let's talk about, I guess, you know, I think most Windows computers, but let's just talk about it briefly. I kind of touched on it a little bit. But let's talk about what are some things that people should have in place so when somebody does try to start banging on the door, it just doesn't let them bang and bang and bang forever and ever and ever without anybody noticing or being alerted to it. What are some things that people can do? You, you need to have tracking involved so you can identify that that's going on where you can't just let them you know, keep banging away until they get it. So having things in place to notify you if, if, if somebody's trying a bunch of failed passwords, having that, uh, you know, uh, an increase in that lockout process. So maybe the after the first couple passwords are failed, they have 30 minutes locked out. If it continues to happen, the next step is 60 minutes and making sure that you have those types of policies in place. So how do I, I guess I'm a business owner. I hear what you're saying, but how do I do that? How do I go about doing what you're saying? There's, there's controls and you know, it depends on the infrastructure and, and, and how you've got things set up. I mean, ultimately, the, the best answer I can provide is making sure that you've got a qualified IT person yep. uh, who can handle this stuff. I mean, there oh, are certain yeah, like, kind of like, I, like I was saying earlier that CISA should be recommending yeah. services mm -hmm. and or service providers right. to help you with this stuff and not just throwing out what you need to do. Because right, right, what you just did was you gave me the framework for what I need to do. Mm -hmm. But I'm hearing, you know, I 
put my non-techny business owner, I'm, I don't know anything about technology shoes on and I'm hearing you and I'm like, I have no idea what that means. And I have no idea how I'd even go about doing that. Right. Or even that, that like, existed in the first place. That's like a mechanic trying to tell me how to change my spark plugs. Like, yeah, I hear you, but I, you know, I'm not going to attempt to do it myself. So these are the things that need to happen. And we're trying to show you the importance of seeking out individuals who know how to handle this stuff, right? Um, Randy, what are some other things people can do to make sure that people aren't banging away on their, uh, on their accounts? Um, I mean, so, so what uh, Ryan mentioned, you know, getting notifications that that's happening, that's, that's huge. Also, um, getting notifications of breaches that have been discovered. Um, so, you know, when your password has been leaked onto the dark web, people have tried to sell it. I would highly encourage use use this document. Go go to 30 plus characters randomly generated. Um, you can use a password. We did a whole we did a whole show on password uh, managers. Um, the one one of the ones I love, I love several. One of them is Keeper. Keeper, by the way, you enter username first and then they ask for the multi-factor code. And then once you pass that, then you enter the password, which I think is ingenious mm -hmm. um, because the multi-factor code changes all the time. So even if you guess that, then now you got to start guessing the password, um, which you'll get locked out if you try that like four or five times. But but yeah, monitoring, like there's a website called um, Have I Been Pwned? I think is what it's called. Um, where it will literally, you can enter in your email address or several email addresses. You can get notifications and they will tell you when stuff's been leaked. In fact, one of the articles. Can I pull it up and we'll do your email address? Um, not mine. We can do yours. <laughs> I'll do mine. I don't care. Anybody. I'm not the guy from LifeLock. I'm not going to put all my email addresses <laughs> all over the internet. I think that's the other important thing. So there's there's two fundamentals here. So there's one is good password hygiene. That's that's great. That's essential. You know, and that graph really sums that up. The other thing, you know, is that's more of like a last resort for them trying to get access to your account. It's way easier for a hacker to, you know, send you a fake email saying, you know, hey, your password for 365 is about to expire. Click here and enter your credentials to, to uh, update that. And then you give them the password. So it doesn't matter if you've got 30 characters, you just handed it over to them. And that's right. where having MFA comes into place. Right. Uh, or the I don't know what like you said. I don't know why you're afraid to do this because anybody can do it. And you know, it's, it's no big deal. I know um, I have 23 data breaches and five found pace, whatever that means, but all the way back to the, the Adobe breach in 2013. Right. Um, but you can go through this and you can look at your own email address. It'll tell you whether or not your credentials are out there. Um, and you know, they probably are right. And, and you can go to this website. It's completely free to use. Now there's better services that are paid out there that, you know, I would say use those over, over this free one, but if you're just a regular user and you want to know if your work or your personal email has been compromised, um, in some other companies breach. That's how you can go and do it for free. And you will see that you have been compromised. And if you find that that password is out on the dark web, I wouldn't use anything even close to that anymore um, because hackers will take what they know from the dark web. They'll put it in this tool and they'll say, run this against, you know, umpteen infinite variations of this password and try to get, get in. Right. Yeah. So, you know, 
Right, that's how a lot of people are going to be on those lists of those breaches. It's the, the difference is, did you do something about it? Did yeah, you take exactly. that information and change those passwords and stop it? Changed it, yeah. Not use them in multiple places. Right. So one of the one of the things that I'll say, I'll recommend. Obviously, we've mentioned password manager. Um, you want to test your passwords. Now, look, if you're, I don't know, my mom is seventy something years old. She probably doesn't want to use a password manager. Um, one of the things that I'll tell you that you can do and is a good tactic is use a passphrase instead of a password, right? right. So maybe use three or four words, yep. uh, at, attached with a special character, maybe an yep. exclamation point in between each word or a hash mark or dollar or sign, whatever in between each word and like pick, you know, three or four of your favorite things, right? You know, maybe you like to run. Maybe you like to play tennis. Maybe you like to play pickleball, right? And use those three words as a string of characters that gets you over that 19 or 20 characters, right? And then separate each word with a special character. That's going to put you in that trillions of years category. Um, and I also saw, I don't know if it was this article or another article where I saw this, the the password mat uh, the pass the brute force tools that these guys use really aren't designed to figure out pat phrases like this. They're designed to figure out random characters and dictionary type words, and probably will change where they will start putting these things together. But it's mm -hmm. going to take years and years for for this to happen. So if you have you know limitations on how many times somebody can use a password. Um, incorrectly on any account, your bank account, your social media account, uh, your logins for your computers, and, and it locks them out or prevents them. That's one way you're going to prevent them from being able to bang on the door all day long. And the other way is, is if multi-factor is an option, use it because you're going to get a code or they're going to get presented with a, an, a, an option to put a code in and they're going to realize real quick, it's time to move on because I'm not getting this code and I got to... I got to get, I got to move on to an easier target that doesn't have MFA turned on. Um, Ryan, I take that a step further too. Depending on what type of application or data you're talking about, if they don't offer it, I'd find another mm -hmm. service. Yep. I agree. Yeah. You don't, if they don't offer MFA at this point, you got to question how, how good they are at security on their side of the house. Right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll quote Andre on that one. 2022 is the year that if you don't have MFA, you're going to get hacked. Yeah. That was your prediction. Uh -huh. Cool. That's funny. All right, guys. Thanks. We're going to wrap up the show. Uh, please remember, guys, um, our, our audience, please share our show out. Uh, it helps us uh, grow our show when you share it out to your friends and family. It's that simple. It's the only fee that we ask. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, everyone. See you. Bye.